Hello and welcome to Pop DNA, the podcast that explores the historical and literary roots of your favorite works of pop culture. I'm Erin. And I'm Rhonda. So we had a bit of trouble with the audio for this Lord of the Rings episode. We recorded our guest Rebecca over Skype and then unfortunately lost some of the audio at the very beginning of that conversation. But the rest of our discussion was really good. So I'm just going to go ahead and drop you, dear listener, into our Lord of the Rings discussion already in progress. Enjoy. So, but before we get into what we're discussing today, we need to introduce our guest. Yay! Rebecca. Hello. Show. Yay. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Good. I do this. My first podcast. Yay! Yay. Well, you picked a good one. You did. It's true. <laughs> um, so uh, we can, like, I, I introduced you, but I should probably say, like, how we know each other. So, yeah, we go way back. <laughs> we go way back. Yeah. So we went to college together. At I don't even C- remember what year that was. Yeah. I, well, I think... I think, were you a year ahead of me, or, or I was a year ahead of you? Maybe? I think you were a year ahead of me. Okay. I graduated with my bachelor's in 2010. Oh, so did I. Okay, so we were from okay. here. Okay. Then I did, I did like, fifth-year teaching, and That's stuck around. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so you just they, kind of hung around campus after. I did. I was the old creeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, because Nate was still in school, right? Nate so. was still in school, and I did the Calpha <laughs> internship and everything, and did all that so yeah that's right and now you're uh an associate pastor is that yes right? cool. yeah, i'm an associate pastor and run the youth program and a bunch of other I wear all the hats necessary nice. that's awesome yes, yes. oh cool. yeah i'm excited i didn't even like make this connection until recently but i'm excited to have someone who's like a minister who like has gone through seminary to talk about like the spiritual and Christian aspects of Lord of the Rings. I could talk about that too. Cause like I, you know, I'm a Christian as well, but (laughs) but, like not as much of a, I'm not a professional Christian. (laughs) I didn't know there was hierarchies. (laughs) (laughs) I leveled up apparently. Yes. (laughs) Cool. Um, yeah. So I just I put this in the notes because I was fully intending to see mm-hmm. the Tolkien mm-hmm. biopic that just came out. Me too. And I didn't see it. Me neither. <laughs> Did you see Has it, it? Is it already out? I didn't, yeah. I, I think it, it came was, out oh, okay. like it came out like a week ago. I think. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. I, I thought it hadn't come out yet, so I hadn't like seen it. <laughs> Yeah, you well, tried to. Yeah, I kind of thought it was still on its way as well. Yeah, but I guess it came out. Um, I read a couple of reviews though, and they seem to be kind of like underwhelmed. Unfortunately. Okay. okay. So. Bummer. Yeah. I know it's probably really hard to make a movie about someone who's like, like, the biggest you know his biggest claim to fame was writing a, you know stories right and it's hard yeah. to like, show that on screen I think I don't know I also yeah. 
a lot of these movies are seem like a really good idea to sell seats, and then that's <laughs> kind of the only thing they figured out. And then you get to the movie, and you're kind of like, huh, wait, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think from what I read, it sounds like they they took so much more liberty with it that it turned right. into more of a fiction. Sure. Um, and I and I think then for the for fans of the books and movies who really love Tolkien, Tolkien, like it ends up feeling like they've like bastardized Tolkien's life when they then try to make it this like fictional thing. Um, but, uh, fun fact though, my husband and I went and saw a live play that recreated the last inklings meeting of Tolkien and Lewis. Cool. And that I felt like was done very well. Yeah. Where'd you see it? What theater? Um, it was, Oh geez, it was in Seattle. Um, they like toured through. Um, oh. I can't remember what company it was, but his mom found it for us and thought, fun. "Yeah," and it was just really cool to hear their friendship kind of come alive on the stage and um, and kind of their different personalities and picking at each other and picking at each other's writing and um, it was just really a cool experience. Yeah, sounds like it. So did they, so like they, he kind of like discussed like what he was writing in the play or like, how did they, was there kind of like foreshadowing or like? Yeah, there was a little bit they... yeah, so it was basically their, so like they had a falling out, um, Tolkien oh. and Lewis had a falling out at like some point in their friendship and then they did come back together and it was like two weeks before, oh no, I can't remember which one died first. Yeah. <laughs> Which, that's embarrassing. I think Lewis died first. Yeah, so it was like two weeks to a month before Lewis died. Oh, That they had their, like, reconciliation um, meeting. Wow. Yeah. So it kind of replayed their friendship and history Mm -hmm. and how much of the the play is accurate to their last meeting. But, um, like, they, like, J.R., Tolkien always thought that Lewis's writing was like basically not highbrow enough with like and, <laughs> and all those things and was super snobbish about it and <laughs> was always crabby that Lewis never became Catholic and um, sure, sure. you know so they had lots of like you know friendly banter that they just constantly picked at each other about uh-huh. um, oh. and so that really came through in the chemistry of the actors oh, and good. yeah I love but, that <laughs> Yeah, like, I would rather see a movie about their friendship than I would, yeah. like, I would just the life that. of Tolkien or something, yeah. Well, especially, like, they hired these younger actors, and all. I don't know, it just seems really like we're trying to make Tolkien into, like, a sex similar, like, I just... Right? Like, it exhausts me <laughs> a little. Like, Dumbledore being hot. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It just weirds me out, man. Can't we, like... As a as humans, can we progress past like our mid twenties? Right? <laughs> no, like at the emotional state. Yeah, um, clearly, apparently not. No. <laughs> um, one review. I so I I guess I only really only read like two reviews, but one review that I read of the movie was talking specifically about how the Tolkien movie portrays his time in World War One. Sure. Um, mm. they, and it seemed like the reviewer was, like, saying that, like, those scenes were, like, some of the most compelling 
oh. scenes in the movie. Yeah. Um, but then it doesn't, according to this reviewer, it doesn't really connect that experience in war to what he eventually writes oh. in Lord of the Rings. Like, they don't show, mm-hmm. like, because that's, that like, connection. Big, yeah, that's a big connection. Like, that was a big influence of on course. his that's Basically, yeah, why both, like, yeah, so I don't know. wrote what they did was in response to the Great War. Right. So, I don't know, like, I mean... I, I'm only going by what this reviewer thinks. Like, if I saw it, I might think totally differently. But, sure. um, but yeah, that's, like, a big, um, yeah, that was a huge influence on his writing. Um, so he actually, he fought in uh, the Battle of the Somme, or the Somme, it's a French uh-huh, word, I uh-huh. know, in mm-hmm. 1916, um, which was, like, one of the biggest and bloodiest battles in World War One, and I think, like, in history in general, yeah. it's one of the... Yeah, uh, that was a big one. It's super long. It's, like, three or four months long, I think. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, so he had... He also, you know, had a very, like, traumatic experience, obviously, in that battle. Two of his friends ended up dying um, in that battle. And also, um, the setting of the Dead Marshes yeah. in Lord of the Rings <gasps> is inspired by... That landscape yeah. in the aftermath Ooh, of that battle. Oh, that's so wow! That yeah. just gave me chills. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, I just on kind of a more humorous note, I always th- I think Tolkien is hilarious <laughs> because <laughs> we you saw him be really really famous with all the hippies, and he was not into it. He was like, "You guys." <laughs> <laughs> no, this was not for you. This is a very serious history. This is not in a very excellent piece of literature. This is not for you people who I don't agree <laughs> with. Like, he was super <laughs> not into it. Um, yeah. And it so happened that I was raised by hippies. And in our town, like, the small scoop at the ice cream store, at Ojai Ice Cream, um, is called the Hobbit Scoop. So no hippies, like, listen to him. They're like, no, dude, we really <laughs> like it, though. So that always <laughs> just, like, cracks me up. Um and then I, I kind of think he's pretty similar, at least in the books, to how Bilbo lives his life. Like, Bilbo <laughs> has a very particular way of living. He has particular mm-hmm. details about the food he eats, the way to take his tea in the morning, all every single, like, juncture. The people will be around. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and this just reminds me of how Tolkien kind of writes at length about how his story is to be enjoyed in the foreword um, to the second edition. Um, Tolkien has this whole um, part where he just discusses, like, this is a history. This is how you're supposed to read this. You're suppo- he basically <laughs> yeah. says you're supposed to sit in this type of like chair and enjoy like this. He's, like, trying to control how mm-hmm. people the reader read re- yeah. which is, like, for me, that's, like, one of the most annoying things an author can do yeah. is to tell me, how I'm supposed to perceive their work. I'm like, no, dude. Right. You already wrote it. You're done. It's right. my turn yeah. to read it now. Right. Perceive he like, it how I want. He <laughs> but like I bucks totally the understand idea the of authorial intent. Of like, we, right. like mo- more and in more modern times, we it's like, well, it doesn't matter what the author meant. It's like it's right. right into it. <laughs> but like, and I don't know how different was that at the time though, of yeah. of, of him writing. You know, like right. We, <laughs> Because now we're like, no, sorry, like, I, yeah. I can read whatever I want. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have like someone like Shakespeare who mm-hmm. put like almost no stage direction right. in his writing. Mm-hmm. He's just like, here's the dialogue, here's do whatever it. you want with it, basically. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then Tolkien's like, you need to sit in a red silver <laughs> stuffed chair, chair. And, <laughs> and have a cup of tea on your left side. He <laughs> like even tea. had, he, right? <laughs> he even well, he's a, English, so. I mean, I love tea, too. Yeah. He even had a section where it basically, in this same prologue, where it basically said, don't read into this and don't connect other literary sources <laughs> to it because it's not exactly true. that's what we're doing. And then, sorry, Tolkien, we're doing it. <laughs> doing it because what else can you do you just said it so now of course right. it's mine it's like power <laughs> suggestion bro figure it out <laughs> well and what's so funny is that like he he didn't want that kind of you know that connection to be made but yet so many authors have taken his work as inspiration mm-hmm. so much so that like i'm kind of glad that lord of the rings is the first like, kind of big fantasy series that we're talking about on here. Because if we talked about, like, well, like, The Wheel of Time, yeah. which you're, like, very nervous about. Uh-huh. Um, or, you know, even, like, <laughs> the biggest fantasy, arguably, right now, A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones. Like, mm-hmm. you would have to, we would have to go back to Lord of the Rings because yeah. of the huge influence mm-hmm. that it's had. Um, you know, even a discussion of... The Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. We would have to reference Tolkien because, like you were talking about, you know, Tolkien and Lewis, they were like BFFs. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, they were writing their respective yeah. fantasy series at the same time. Um, and they would, like, tell each other about what they had written and uh-huh. read it to each other. Um, there's even, I have uh, this book. Oh, you got that the second book for me. <laughs> I have this book um, called The Inklings that's kind mm-hmm. of like a collective biography of Lewis and Tolkien and Charles Williams, which I don't know who that is, but apparently he was part of it too. Oh, I love Williams. <laughs> I have no idea either. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of, it was cool. It has, oh, it's by uh, Humphrey Carpenter is the author. Mm-hmm. Um, he has this like whole section in it where he imagines a meeting of the Inklings and like writes like what Lewis says to Tolkien uh-huh. about like, what Tolkien just read to them. So it's kind of fun. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think that one big difference between Lewis and Tolkien, besides that, you know, Lewis wrote ostensibly for children. um, Sure. And Tolkien didn't. Um, Lewis's work, um, The Chronicles of Narnia, is a very clear um, Christian allegory, uh, which Mm -hmm. is interesting because, like, I've known people who, like, grew up with Chronicles of Narnia but didn't realize that it was yeah. Christian allegory. And then they find out and they're like, whoa, like, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't know just because my mom purposely, like, I don't, she had, like, her, it was kind of like being raised in religion. I was raised out of religion. Uh-huh. Um, and she mm. had her weird feel, I don't know. Um, but so I didn't know and we read yeah. all of them. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't ever read them until I was an adult until I read them out loud to Nate. I never read Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I didn't have, oh, my child's entering the room. Hi, honey. Um, <laughs> Hi. but I, um, read, I read them out loud to Nate. And so, and I didn't grow up in the church. The eggs are in the fridge, kiddo. 
The hard-boiled eggs are on the second shelf. Okay, I'll ask them if you can put some salt on it. Yeah, Daddy can do what that. What kind of salt do you have on that? It's Johnny seasoning salt. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Good stuff. His podcast right. debut. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No. You can edit that out, right? Um. Uh, we can, but we probably won't. <laughs> okay, it's fine. I'll take it it's today. fine. <laughs> hard-boiled eggs for the win. Um, Perfect. But yeah, so then we'll be proud. I didn't grow up in the church either. So, sure. like, I had no idea that, you know, I, I knew nothing until I read them out loud to Nate. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm having a spiritual experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, you know, in Tolkien, he so obviously, like, you know, he was Catholic. Um, so but he never claimed that his work was allegorical, mm-hmm. but it definitely is imbued with that spirituality and with yeah. that Catholic theology. Um, Tolkien was the first to point out that there are no Christians in Middle-earth. Indeed, there is no Christ, but right. the messages and the themes can be read as deeply spiritual. Interesting. Um, so he actually wrote of his own work. Uh, the Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work, unconsciously so at first but consciously in the revision so he Mm -hmm. um i think he actually read it to lewis and lewis was the one who pointed that out and so then in his vision he went back through um so uh by tolkien's intention it's not a christian allegory but it is a myth or an invented myth about christian truths Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, if you um, if you go through, there's a lot of different themes that do come up in Lord of the Rings that have very like deep significance in Christianity. Yeah, themes like redemption, forgiveness, um, mm-hmm. temptation, and resistance. Yeah, free yeah. will even comes into play. Um, loyalty and friendship, freedom and oppression, or freedom being freed from oppression. Yeah, is a big one. To add in another one, I think the the persistence of, like, running, finishing the race, like, Frodo's journey and, like, Frodo and Sam finishing up what they, you know, what they set out to do. Yeah. um, Yeah. Running the race well. It's kind of in in Pilgrim's Progress, kind of the, the, what is, what is it? What is it called? Like, the... Oh, uh, the... The Path of Trials or something? Yeah. I think you know, it, yeah, yeah, the road, the, um, yeah, I, I haven't read that <laughs> something like that. Time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a road Me neither. <laughs> I shouldn't have even brought it up, I don't know. No, it was good, you guys, okay. keep going. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> so a few, like, I mean, there's tons of different um, examples that we could bring up, but just a few specific ways that I see a Christian theme reflected in Lord of the Rings um, is... Well, first of all, kind of the the idea of um, even though you know there's all this darkness and and evil going on, um, Frodo and well and the whole fellowship they're still going to fight for good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this uh, quote from Elijah Wood who played Frodo in the movies um, when he was asked about this. He said. Um, no matter how bad things are, no matter how much evil there is in the world, there's always some good worth fighting for, hmm. worth standing up for, and worth some effort in carrying on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Elijah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nailed that one on the head. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good job, Frodo. Yeah. Um, and then another one uh, that kind of ties into that idea of like, temptation and resistance is how the one ring illustrates how evil can entice and enslave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bondage. Yeah, exactly. And it and and in that way it actually takes away the person's free will because they're no mm-hmm. longer able to think and act in the way that they know is good, sure. they're forced to carry out the evil that yeah. is to the ring. Yeah. It, it really illustrates, um, like, the spiritual bondage that is, mm-hmm. that can be so prevalent and, like, huge. It just, uh, it, in, in, in any, you know, whatever habitual or struggle, like, it just, that lack of ability to, to fight it. Um, yeah. Right. But it can look so like attractive. Mm-hmm. Yes, my precious. On the surface, right? Yeah, like it's pretty and shiny. <laughs> of course. And it also like makes the person who's wearing it feel like they're really powerful. Yeah. And like they're getting what they want, but yeah. probably not. <laughs> Generally, doesn't work out super well. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out for, well for anyone who no it really didn't tried to, no. <laughs> tried to take over it um and then uh just to uh a third one to kind of round that out um kind of that conflict between Gandalf and Saruman that goes you know that goes like way back in their history yeah like it's not yeah. it's not like an exact correlation um but it is um kind of similar to um the the struggle between Christ and Satan um, mm-hmm. in uh, sure. well, especially when like in the wilderness when mm-hmm. when um, Satan tempted Jesus sure um, but then also just kind of you know that's kind of like the they're core. two sides of the same coin right exactly yeah and that's kind of the core conflict yeah. within Christianity is that you know one side is good and one side is evil and it's like an eternal struggle. Right. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, like I said, like Tolkien never like intended it to be, well, I think eventually he did kind of be like, okay, yeah, this is an allegory. Um, right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but he said that when he was writing these stories, his allegiance was to Christ. But it's interesting when, um, when the movies are being made, um, Peter Jackson, the director, has said that um, his allegiance was to Tolkien. Um, okay. Yeah. So this is from another interview. Um, it was uh, a group of Christian writers, actually, that Jackson was speaking to. He says, we wanted to honor Tolkien, and obviously he was a very spiritual person. We've taken an approach of never trying to put in our own message or our own baggage into these films. We want the films to respect him and what he is about. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, which I think good. is, like, the perfect way to really handle honoring, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, the beauty of it is that if you, as a reader, are spiritual or a Christian or religious at all, and you want to see your, your spirituality reflected in Lord of the Rings, you can find it. It's yeah. In there. But then if, you know, if you're not religious or spiritual and you want to read this as, a high fantasy adventure story, you can do that too. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And then as well as, you know, beyond any 
like specific religious message, there are also like truths about like human nature yeah. and the world that are reflected in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so in that way, it functions really well as mythology. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so his, he wrote an essay in 1939 called On Fairy Stories. Yeah. Um, so I, I was telling Aaron earlier, I was going to try to read the whole thing, but it was really long <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's kind of long winded, but I pulled he's out this super long winded of everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I pulled out this quote that I loved because there's a section where he's talking about how, um, like how we've kind of, um, like even back in 1939, we had kind of relegated fairy tales as like, these are stories for children. Yeah. Um, mm. And so he has this um, section. And he says, children are capable, of course, of literary belief when the story maker's art is good enough to produce it. That state of mind has been called willing suspension of disbelief. But this does not seem to me a good description of what happens. What really happens is that the story maker proves a successful sub creator. He makes a secondary world which your mind can enter. Inside it, what he relates is true. It accords with the laws of that world. You therefore believe it while you are, as it were, inside. The moment disbelief arises, the spell is broken. The magic, or rather art, has failed. Um, and so he goes on to kind of distinguish, like, the secondary world is the world that's created within the story. Yeah. And if you sort of have to, you know, as he says, suspend disbelief, yeah. then you haven't really entered into the world of that story. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I um, love that. Mm-hmm. I love it too. That's really good. That's a great description. Yeah. Um, and then he goes on. So um, also within this essay, he talks about um, kind of, myths and and stories and how they can even if they're not factual they can be true um and so to tolkien myths are true because they come from the human imagination which again goes back to um you know how joseph campbell Mm -hmm. talked Mm -hmm. about this in the hero with a thousand faces yeah um of course tolkien is coming at it from like an overtly christian perspective but it still has you know, those same uh, universal ideas. Yeah. Um, so to Tolkien, the story of Jesus Christ is a true myth. Mm-hmm. The hero's mm-hmm. journey is Christ's journey. Um, and when Tolkien shared this idea with Lewis, again, they're, you know, during their, like, best friend times. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it was written, Lewis wrote that uh, when Tolkien um, told him about this idea, he felt a rush of wind that came so suddenly. And then within a few days, Lewis actually converted to Christianity. Oh. And, mm. you know, wrote a lot about. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So really interesting experience there. Um. Wow. <laughs> I just really like their friendship. I know. That's what They're happened, so... <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. For some reason, in my head, that was, like, in a Downton Abbey or, like, a Jane Austen world, and they're, like, walking around the garden as it's all oh, sure, happening. Sure, yeah. With or, like, like, a cobblestone street. Uh-huh. Or perhaps, <laughs> like, a tea service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm <laughs> like, a weird taking place. an afternoon 
stroll. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but going back to the idea of hero's journey, um, that whole Joseph Campbell thing. So Lord of the Rings satisfies all of those hallmarks or stages yeah. of a hero's journey tale, which like we talked about in our Star Wars episode, <laughs> that's a really big key element in what hmm. makes these stories feel like timeless. Yeah. As if they've always been there. Yeah. Like this is our this is our modern mythology. Um kind of like Star Wars is. Uh-huh. Yes. Um but speaking of mythology guys when do we ever not speak of mythology? <laughs> we love it around here. We're nice not for mythology. Nice about... What was that? Nice transition. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I try to be smooth with you now. And then call attention to how smooth my transition is. It's always <laughs> best to do. It's true. Yeah. Um, so mythology was a very big influence on Tolkien. Um, he was a big fan of mythology from when he was a kid Um, and a lot of elements that we find within Lord of the Rings come from um, Norse and Germanic mythology Sure, Um, and a little bit of Jewish as well which you'll get into Um, but let's see so in the Volsunga saga Um, There is an all-powerful ring and a broken sword that is reforged. Um, And these are main features of the story, which is similar to the elements in Tolkien. Yeah. So in ancient Norse legend, rings were symbols of power. And to own a ring was to have power. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then other elements in Tolkien's world, like elves and dwarves especially, are largely based on Norse mythology. Um, which uh, the main source that we have for that is the Poetic and Prose Edda. So it's two different um, works, um, the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. Um, They were written and compiled by this guy with a fun name to pronounce, Uh uh, Snorri (laughs) Sturluson. Sturluson. Sounds like a dwarf himself. Yeah, it does, totally. (laughs) Um, In around 1200 A.D., um, and so his writings are really the primary, like I said, the kind of the primary reason that we still have this myth in our yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, it's kind of fun, Gandalf is kind of reminiscent of Odin, the Norse cat, uh-huh. um, <laughs> who has a long white beard and he's very wise. Yeah. Yeah. But All then, I can picture is Anthony Hopkins at this point. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Erin, have you seen Thor Ragnarok yet? I haven't. <sighs> what? <laughs> How did I get in this? I, it's, it's, I yeah. keep telling her she needs to watch it so that we can talk about the Thor trilogy. We do need to yeah. about those things. Um, oh, but then I, uh, <laughs> I was just looking into a little background on elves and dwarves because um, they're pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but elves... Um, come from that Germanic tradition. Um, So from Germany itself to England um, and throughout Scandinavia, so that entire um, kind of monoculture there. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically they're associated with forests, fields, and wild places and are said to be exceptionally beautiful. 
um, outside of that, classic depictions of elves vary wildly across cultures. Sure. Um, and then, uh, um, so most of the folklore depicts elves as forest spirits that exist in our world, but they stay hidden. Uh-huh. But in Norse mm-hmm. mythology, excuse me, <laughs> uh, we'll edit that out. Um, in <laughs> Norse mythology, um, <laughs> elves are seen as a wholly different race, and they reside okay. on other worlds separate from mm. our Sure. So they're divided into light elves and dark elves. Sure. Which probably sounds familiar if uh-huh. you four yeah. movies. <laughs> Which Aaron hasn't. They I've have heard of it too. You haven't seen any of them? No. <laughs> oh, my Lanta. <laughs> um, and they possess um, more power than humans, but less than full on gods. Mm-hmm. And then, well, they make their homes on. <laughs> these are more fun names Alfheim and Svartalfheim. Nice. <laughs> like in Thor. <laughs> Yes. And then we also have, kind of evolving from that, we have examples um, like the fairies in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, buddy. Kind of yeah. fall into that same kind of group. Ambish, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and then we have the dwarves. So um, these are actually, um, well, obviously, like we have them in fairy tales like Snow White. Yeah. Um, but they were actually considered to be invisible. Um, okay. Yeah, sure. So I don't know if they were like were literally invisible or if they just like stayed hidden mm-hmm. and nobody. Could do that. Um, but in uh, yeah, so in pre-Christian mythology and religion of Norse and Germanic peoples, um, so dwarves are most often noted for being extremely skilled smiths and craftspeople. Sure. So they like in Thor. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So they created. Yes, they created Mjolnir, the hammer of Thor. Yeah. And they also created Dropnir, a ring owned by Odin. Okay. Um, and it's yeah. interesting to note that in the Lord of the Rings, all of the rings of power, except for the one ring, were forged by elves, which in hmm. Germanic and Norse mm-hmm. mythology are said to be related to dwarves. They're kind oh. of... Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. On himself, forged the one ring. So sure, and he's not a dwarf. No, so. he's just pretending. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> I'm about to get real sad and kind of upsetting. <laughs> in our moving from Norse mythology to to Smeagol and Jewish Gollum to Jewish right? mythology, and then shortly thereafter to psychology and trauma. And I did want to bring that up just Giving in case. Your roadmap. Just in case you know you don't want to listen listeners to psychology and trauma if that's hard for you to hear um feel free to fast forward i know that it can be kind of sad or possibly triggering so i just wanted to put that out there um but first smeagol and Gollum. so i'm fascinated with the dichotomy of smeagol and Gollum. so smeagol means air breathing (laughs) sea slug which is disgusting in, in hebrew and jewish folklore and then um a golem is literally a character made into human form and given life. The creature is then a slave to its master's commands. So we see how wow. very clearly that that goes from kind of the Smeagol sea slug into the, the slave into its master's commands. Mm. Um, and to a lot of people, Smeagol is a difficult character um, to watch or read. Um, we don't know if we can ever trust him. Um, 
especially when he turns around and starts to be nice to Frodo and Sam. And I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions about Smeagol, rightfully so. (laughs) But I always seem to go back to compassion here and kind of worry about him and the effect (laughs) of, like, you're a teacher. It's because I'm a teacher (laughs) um, and I teach, like behavior and stuff and so I think the def- the effect and here's the part where you can skip ahead if you want to the effect of trauma and like deep insecurity are pretty evident with him so in chapter two um of the first book of Lord of the Rings Gandalf discusses the relationship between um Gollum and Bilbo so yeah. Gandalf says that Bilbo reminds Gollum of what it's like what what it felt like to be with trees and land and happiness but ultimately reminds Gollum of how far he has changed since those days and ultimately builds that friction even further because of that connection. Um, And I Mm -hmm. loved this section um, as an introduction to Smeagol Gollum. Um, I think that this idea can be a leading reason why relationships fracture and why things fall apart because one individual or both make a series of bad decisions either of their own accord or as a result of adverse experience. And then that friend group or relationship only serves to remind the person of all of those bad choices. Yeah. So the person steps away from that um, from that formerly positive relationship and enters a new, often kind of more detrimental social world instead of trying yeah. to come back and change. Because all they see with, when they see their former friends is how much they've changed and how... Right. Instead, it's easier instead of, as they say in Hamilton, it feels easier to just swim down. So you, yeah. you don't instead work. Instead of facing what's happened. Exactly. Like, it's easier um, to escape. It's escapism. Yeah. Which is incredible. Like, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world, right? It's mm-hmm. really hard to come back from that. Um, and then I link that too to the ACEs test in child psychology. So it's the adverse childhood experiences test. And what you do is you, it's a list of adverse experiences that may have happened in a child or young adult's life, or even um, an older adult. In the test, you check off each of the events which have happened to you, and then you receive a score. And this score is believed to be able to explain human behavior and also some um, actual physical changes you might experience. So if you've Mm -hmm. experienced a certain number of these traumatic experiences, usually in early life, then the effect on your behavior or overall mental or physical health can be staggering. Um, And therapists and educators use this test to inform their practice, which makes me think of Smeagol and Gollum because of his split in the personas, you know, the self-loathing and the obsession about an object that would be a quick fix. Mm, You know, all he would need in his life is to get this ring and then it's done and it's fixed and it's fine, which is obviously a fallacy of thought. Um, that read to me as a result of trauma. Um, yeah. yeah. And then just, you know, we can skim over this next part because it's just, you know, I was just wondering with this kind of fixation obsession theme, I was, I just wonder where, where Tolkien saw that in his life and kind of what led him to think so deeply about it, you know, like mm-hmm. I think he writes pretty convincingly about it. So I just wondered like, where'd he see that? You know, I, I just had I a- wonder um, so World War One is really where we like saw the advent of like really kind of traumatic coping of yeah. with alcohol, mm-hmm. um, sure, in handling their PTSD and their war issues. Yeah. And so I almost wonder if it is kind of tied into that of like, um, I mean, soldiers wrote in their letters that their 
like all that satiates what they're experiencing in the trenches is, is the next drink, you know? Right. Sure. Um, and so whether Tolkien ever experienced that personally himself, as far as using alcohol to numb everything, like that's where, that's where it really kind of first started in, yeah, in the military sure. world was well, World sure War One. Yeah. I'm sure he saw like his, his friends and, you know, his fellow soldiers coping with that, even if that wasn't what he himself did. Sure. Right. And that I think observing it in someone else, mm-hmm. I think would make you more able to write a character that goes through that yeah. than, than experiencing it yourself. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the end of my little psychology <laughs> conversation. Um <laughs> On to how, okay, I was always a Harry Potter nerd. I really was. And I still am. <laughs> but I do think that the last book rips pretty blatantly from this obsession idea. They really? even, like, yeah. I feel like when he has the, um, he has one of the, With the horcruxes. horcruxes. And whenever he holds them, he gets in a bad mood because of Voldemort. And yeah, that makes sense. But it just felt very similar to me. Um, And this Mm. is from someone who was from the Harry Potter camp more so than the Lord of the Rings camp. And even I was like, yeah. And even I was like, okay. (laughs) This is maybe a little bit from Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I mean... I don't know. I guess I could argue that later, but the <laughs> no, please. There's definitely a parallel there. I I wonder how much of that was intentional or how much of that was just like because of the 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 dark side. The dark side. Now I'm pulling. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Of that draw. Yeah. I mean that. Um, I mean, at some point, everybody pulls something from someone else. So, so sometimes yeah, I wonder sure. how much of it is conscious and how much of it is just like because the ideas of good and evil are so pervasive in a good yeah. way in our stories. Um, and again, I had like I read Harry Potter like before I really even got into Lord of the Rings. So maybe I'm just more biased. <laughs> no, not <laughs> at all. Seeing it like... that way. Of course, like, if you're holding a part of Voldemort, you're going to yeah. feel him. So, of course. Right. <laughs> of course. Because yeah. it, it wasn't just Harry. It was, like, everybody else who carried the Horcrux, sure. too, like, yeah. felt that way. Where, like, the ring didn't have the same kind of power over everybody. Like, sure. Yeah. So I, I just. I'd have, I'd have to think that through more. That's yeah, great. please do. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'll end up thinking out loud, though, and not making sense. So I should think about it internally first. That's That's how I live my whole life, man. I get it. Um, I know. It's real bad. (laughs) And then this brings us to the scary cartoon versions of these movies. Um, Which I've never seen, so I will not be helpful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I haven't either. We just watched the trailer for The the Hobbit. Yeah. Right. Again, okay. in my in my hometown, in my hippie dip hometown of Ojai, California, every it was very sunny, but every single rainy day we ever had, the the teachers would have us watch these scary oh, cartoon versions. Oh my gosh, we seriously? Go, 
Yeah. Because it's, cause it's California wow. and, uh-huh. you'll, and you'll melt in the uh-huh. rain. <laughs> we're very fragile creatures. <laughs> so these movies were from 1977 by Common Sense Media. Same as Star Wars. Oh, wow. See, that's when you can tell the dip in quality because <laughs> these are terrible and scary. Um, and Seriously. CBS aired them. <laughs> they aired them and labeled them as a musical television special. Which is hilarious. And it was written by Rankin and Bass. And I just... Isn't, Rankin and Bass, isn't that um, who did, like, all the Claymation Christmas specials? Like, Rudolph yeah. and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe not Frosty. I don't know. I loved... Oh, gosh. I ruined it. Frosty um, was also Claymation, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, so these... I just bring them up because I would encourage everyone to, to go look at how, like... So... I would want to watch the rewatch them as an adult because it could be that all of the musical moments in it were from like the text of Lord of the Rings and those awesome um, songs that are written out that are so beautiful. But from, from like a third grade standpoint, I just (laughs) thought it was terrifying. Like something about (laughs) the musicality of it. I was like, Oh no, thank you. But so go check them out. They're funny. And like, it's so interesting because like, I'm assuming that these these movies were made with, like, the target audience in mind was children. Sure. I'm guessing. Sure. And it's so interesting that they thought, oh, Lord of the Rings is clearly a story for children. Yeah. They're going to make children's movies. Nope. (laughs) When, like... Tolkien himself was like, just because it's a fairy tale doesn't mean it's just for children. Nope. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, we just talked about it. I read that whole 30-page essay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, granted, fairy tales started more as the cautionary. Sure. Yeah, sure. The, like, don't go play know, in the woods. could be made. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, <laughs> right? Don't go to Mount Doom with a ring. Yeah, kids. <laughs> Don't let strangers into your house. You. They'll take you on adventures and fight dragons. <laughs> anyway, that is all that I, I think I already said this bit. So, yeah, thank you for going down that psychological um, rabbit hole with me. Cool, guys. Yeah. Um, Talked about, about the, the word origin of Gollum and Smeagol's name. Like, I didn't know that part. And that just. Like broke my heart for Smeagol a little bit. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. Even more. I, I always had kind of the compassionate side of like, oh, I love like Smeagol. I love and you know, but I, like that's my favorite part of the movies is when Smeagol is his funny kind. I know. Um, like the flashback. So heartbroken when. Yeah. Uh, and he's, to... like, talking about potatoes. and Yeah! Like, potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> he rebukes, he essentially, like, rebukes Gollum uh-huh. and tells him to go away. And then Gollum is brought back on by the trauma of him being beaten by the, um, by what's-his-face, Faramir. I um, know! And so, but knowing that, I didn't know that um, word history on him, and that just, like, makes me hurt for him a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah, like we just rewatched. We rewatched the scene where right before that, all of that happens, where he gets beaten, where he he's holding a fish in his mouth and he's smiling yeah. up at Frodo and he's like, "Hi!" And then he's he like says, a "Little dog." Exactly. And then he says to him, "Why would like like no? You betrayed me." And that part yeah. like kills my soul. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. 
It was when we were we were trying to watch the Battle of Helm's Deep, but we couldn't remember exactly where, where in the movie it, it was. So we were yeah. like, oh, oh yeah. Because right. <laughs> I feel like in my mind, the Battle of Helm's Deep is like that entire movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But it's really only like the last like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still pretty long. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, did you, well, did you have more about like the hippie culture with Lord of the Rings or was that like that was kind of my little quip at the beginning just how (laughs) they loved it and like there were parts of my hometown like people named their homes like Rivendell and stuff and were into it and like our hobbit scoop and everything and Tolkien just like these are not my people you are not to like my stuff like (laughs) I don't acknowledge you as my fans he was gatekeeping his own work he was very wow. upset about it. And then um well, who did he want to I think be a scholars. Fan? I think scholars and like historians and huh. I mean they probably were too, um, but he just didn't want the hippie culture. So he was like, These dumb kids, like stop. <laughs> this is yeah. a history that I've written and I can I care deeply about it and could you please stop it's like when you have your younger brother <laughs> sister and you're like stop playing with my like fort or whatever stop liking yeah. everything i do exactly right. <laughs> so uh-huh. on the on the christiology side of things there's i've had debates with people over um like who's who's the main messiah character oh in, sure yeah in lord of the rings so there's an argument for frodo there's mm-hmm. an argument for gandalf uh-huh. And there's an ar- argument for Aragorn. Um, oh, interesting. Sure. Uh, yeah, Aragorn. Yep. If I could only so, find a man like Aragorn. <laughs> you what? <laughs> if I could only find a man like Aragorn. <laughs> In the words I of Laura like Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe not quite Aragorn, but, you know, he has a sword. <laughs> yeah, <so>. Close enough. <laughs> From Spain, you know. Oh, hey. <laughs> So that that would be my question. Like, what do you guys, what are your thoughts on that? Is it like, I mean, you can make the argument as Frodo being the the bearer of the greatest weight of darkness yeah. and having to bear that. Um, there's clearly the the resurrection aspect of Gandalf, sure. of Gandalf. Um, yeah. essentially Frodo, descending into death. Yeah, Frodo kind of has a a resurrection though as well. He doesn't sure. literally die, mm-hmm. right? But he has that whole. Um, where uh, yeah a descent like literally a descent um like after like when he and sam are like running away from mount doom and like all the lava is coming out and he's basically like about to die on the rock and then the eagles come and pick them up yeah Yeah. i noticed this um when i rewatched the movie um i noticed this shot of frodo they have where uh, the eagle has picked him up and yeah. looking straight down at him. Yeah. And I pulled out I pulled out the the screenshot. So if you like scroll yeah. down notes, you'll see it. Um and it like very strongly reminded me of the shot from um Catching Fire. Yeah. The second Hunger Games movie. Um where it's Katniss. That's being- a that's that's a that's Mockingjay. That's second part of Mockingjay yeah. when she's lifted out of the arena. Um. It, well, it's at. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. It's oh no, it's at the fire because yeah, fire. because they're You're about right. to take the district thirteen. Oh gosh, I just read yeah. those too. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but like 
the shots look like super similar because yeah. you have them, you know, they're like almost dead. Their heads are even no. turned the uh-huh. same way. They're in the same position and there's like Does everything. Does your head just naturally floating. like lull to the left when you're I guess like being so. buried? Is that something? I mean, I guess I sleep that way more of my head to the left. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then in those two shots, so they're, they both come at like a low point in there. So like Katniss has a hero's journey and Frodo has a hero's journey. So I would argue that just based on that, Frodo is the messianic figure because uh, Gandalf doesn't really do have a hero's journey. I don't think. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. For the story, but we don't see. But we that. didn't see. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's at a point in their journey where they're going through like a death and resurrection and rebirth, mm-hmm. and you know, like I said, they actually look like they're dead. And um, both of these shots also, I think they evoke, especially Katniss evokes like a very Christian iconography of like a crucifix. Yeah. Yeah. Because Frodo's all kind of wrapped up with his arms down and Katniss is kind of sprawled. Yeah. Right. But even like Frodo kind of looks like the, like the way that Jesus's face is often like portrayed on a crucifix or on, you know, like an icon Sure. Um, showing the crucifixion, like that kind of like pain and like yeah, pain, but also kind of like resignation in his face. Sure, um, is very Christ-ish looking. Christ-ish. <laughs> That's a weird, right? <laughs> yeah, I think what I've always loved, kind of about that, is that all three of those characters, um, it's like they they all three are the Messiah character together. Um, yeah, so they kind of have the like three stages of um, sure. kind of the Gandalf being the older, almost like the older covenant of like living out and like figuring out and like battling death, um, mm-hmm. and Aragorn yeah. being like the returning king, and that yeah. imagery of of like Christ's return in his kingdom. Um, so all three of them kind of pull into one messiah character with each of their like story arcs sure. um, they're each different aspects of yeah 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 i see that i think that makes a lot of sense too because we know tolkien is not a man to waste words he was like no that was purposeful and here's exactly <laughs> why like there's three of them so i feel like yeah yeah doesn't waste his time on the page <laughs> <laughs> Except when he rambles on and on about no. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, all of that meant stuff. Well, yeah, I, know. I wonder if if he had set out from the beginning to tell this as like a very clear Christian allegory, if they if there would have been three characters. Sure. Or if it if he would have, you know, used one character to tell all of those uh-huh. roles and all of those aspects. Yeah. Hmm. We'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> it's true that takes a lot more I, I don't know I think it I think it shows a lot more like nuance to then bring yeah. it into the three characters um, yeah, yeah sure but I yeah. had actually never thought of Aragorn as yeah the messianic figure That's oh funny. really yeah but that makes sense now that you say that though yeah I feel like Tolk- the ghost of Tolkien's gonna just appear in this apartment <laughs> right now and be wrong. like, "This is what I meant." <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you just read into my? 
<laughs> or you'll look over and your um, Lord of the Rings books will just have disappeared. Like, <laughs> you got these. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, it's interesting reading them. So Nate and I are actually still reading the books out loud um, because that's what we do in our marriage (laughs) (laughs) is read fantasy books out loud. And a couple um, that reads together stays together. It's true. Amen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It started because I was too much of a backseat driver and needed to be distracted in the car, actually. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, um, but it's, they're harder to read out loud. Like there's so much detail that okay. is, and I know it's all important, like sure. to, to Tolkien, but there's sometimes <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, really, do I need all this? <laughs> um, that's just kind of overly overkill a little bit. And it, so it's it's really hard. It's a lot harder to read out loud than like Redwall or Harry Potter or Hunger sure. Games, um, because of that. So, um, but. I'm actually currently taking the quiz about which Yay! Lord of the Rings character I am. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to find out about that. Um, but we touched a little bit on uh, kind of the lasting influence that Lord of the Rings has had yeah. in popular mm. culture. Um, I mentioned Game of Thrones earlier. I think, I mean, it's just kind of like in it's at the forefront of public consciousness right now, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting. We just watched, well, I, I said, we just watched the battle of Helm's deep and then yeah. we, wanted, we wanted to contrast that with the battle of Winterfell, which mm-hmm. is from the most, uh, the, the, you know, the season of game of Thrones that just finished. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just to kind of like see how, these two different um, giant fantasy series handled like a huge battle like this. Sure. It was, Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I feel (laughs) like it was, (laughs) I mean, ultimately like the good guys won in both of them, like spoiler alert, but, (laughs) but well, I mean, I know nothing about Game of Thrones. I don't think there are, but (laughs) Um, but Boromir is in Game of Thrones. He's Ned Stark. Does he die? Because Sean <laughs> yeah. Bean dies in everything. He does. <laughs> yes, he does die. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that the like it's these two battles, like these two, you know, events in in the two stories in particular, when seen in contrast, I think kind of show the like the overall biggest contrast between these two stories sure um Mm -hmm. i read this really cool article it was an interview with george rr martin um and so he talks obviously you know he um has read tolkien and Mm -hmm. tolkien is a big influencer for him yeah Uh, but he um he talks about how his work kind of diverges from tolkien Um, He says that the war that Tolkien wrote about was a war for the fate of civilization and the future of humanity. Um, And that's become the template. And he's talking about like the template for fantasy fiction in general. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. He says, I'm not sure that it's a good template, though. (laughs) (laughs) The Tolkien model led generations of fantasy writers to produce these endless series of dark Uh lords and their evil minions. (laughs) 
who are all very ugly and wear black clothes. <laughs> That's great. But the oh, vast my gosh. Majority, <laughs> the vast majority of wars throughout history are not like that. Right. World War One, which of course Tolkien himself lived through, is much more typical of the wars of history, where you look back and you say, "What was everyone fighting for?" Sure, like, sure, wh- sure. Who were the good guys and who were the bad guys? We don't really know because everybody, you know, every yeah. side did terrible things to every other side. Right. Um, and then uh, also kind well, of there's this- a. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, which there's a quote that Faramir says um, when he, in the movie, when he finds Sam and Frodo and Gollum, uh, when when the, oh, I forget, Sauron's army, that they've killed killed the, five, the human fighters, and he essentially makes that statement of, like, he has a family at home, right? Like, he, he's mm-hmm. fighting for something as well. Um, and so even, even Tolkien had had that that idea of like all the bad guys aren't it's not it's not totally black and white right like, sure. it wasn't as it wasn't as uh obvious in his writing and, and in the movies because there was like clear bad guys mm-hmm. clear good guys sure. yeah but, but recognizing that difference it was like well he's fighting for a cause too that you know yeah um so anyway sorry i interjected <laughs> no, no no that's fine that's yeah but that's because um in the same interview martin does kind of go on to recognize that about Tolkien as well Hmm. Um, he said um, there are some people who read and want to believe in a world where the good guys win and the bad guys lose and at the end they live happily ever after but that's not the kind of fiction I write and Tolkien was not Hmm. that sure Um, the scouring of the Shire proved that Frodo's sadness like Frodo's bitter Hmm. ending um, which, to my mind, was far more powerful than the ending of Star Wars. Throwing down. <laughs> all the happy Ewoks are jumping around. And the ghosts of all the dead people appear waving happily. <laughs> so, so we know how George R.R. Martin funny. feels about Star Wars. I wonder how Tolkien would have felt about Star Wars. Oh, he's appearing. Yes. <laughs> oh, there he is. Hello. Let me ask him. <laughs> the Jedi Tolkien is <laughs> coming oh, to tell us yes. Star Wars. What color would his lightsaber be? Uh, pink. Yes. Oh, <laughs> It'd be invisible because he wouldn't want to have to like, yes, I know this is foolish, but I do have one of these. <laughs> oh. You would. He would, would be like, be I'm not worthy to be a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> It'd probably be green just because of like the Hobbit, his love of Hobbits yeah. and their... Sure. Yeah, gr- growing of green or, you know, yeah, gardening most, skills. Like, most Jedi have either blue or green, mm-hmm. except for Mace Windu because Samuel L. Chance purple. purple. I would please favorite. like purple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But would he be a Jedi or would he be Sith? Ooh. Oh. The important questions here, you guys. I feel like he'd be Sith. <laughs> I really do. Because he's just, even in his writings, he's a little bit like, this is the way it is. He's like, yeah, like, like kind of a, like a control freak. A little bit. So I feel yeah. like Sith than yeah. Jedi. Mm-hmm. Only Sith deal in absolutes. So yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> so maybe Star Wars has a little bit of influence from Lord totally. of the Rings in there. Um, but I'm just wondering about, like, besides what we've already talked about, what are your guys' favorite fantasy books and series? 
And do you see any Lord of the Rings influence in there? Oh, 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 oh. pick me. Yes, you, oh, you. <laughs> um, so have you guys read anything by Tamara Pierce? Yes. Yes. Okay, so. The, I think it's the Song of the Lioness. Yeah, so that was her first quartet. Was the, the Song of the Lioness quartet was her first one. Um, Long and they're gross. definitely like medieval fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know directly how much influence she had, but but she really kind of was the first one then to write female heroes. Yeah. And yeah. Kind of medieval fantasy genres. Um, and all of her books are fantastic. Um, and, but it's like it opened the door for kind of creating other worlds mm-hmm. yeah um, and she's done that really well as well someday i hope her books get made into movies as long as they're done well yeah <laughs> sure that's the well and like so many things are now because yeah. we have all these different like streaming services that are doing their own content right so yeah. eventually all the beloved fantasy series will <laughs> i hope so someday um <laughs> She's Tamara Pierce has actually talked about it, but because she has so many different book series that span the same um, world, like mm-hmm. or the same kingdom, yeah, uh, it was. It's kind of like a studio would have to buy the rights to like the whole Tortal oh, series, okay. which is yeah. like thirteen or fourteen books at this point. Oh, that That's span the Tortal big. realm. Are they, like, sim- simultaneous with other books, or are they, like, in a chronology? They're in a chronology. So, like, okay. The Song of the Linus Quartet is her first one, and then the and it, it's about a, a girl who disguises herself as her twin brother to become a knight, mm-hmm. um, and she it's has the gift, and she has magical powers, and she doesn't want um, to, uh, but she's scared of her magical gift. Uh, um, sure. And so part of her journey is, like, learning that. And then the second series is a girl who has wild magic, which is communicating with animals. Cool. And um, and then there's another quartet that's about the next girl who doesn't have to hide her gender to become a knight and is the first yeah. like known girl. And then oh, what's the other one? The next there's then there's another one that is like a prequel but set way farther um, in the past. So none of them are really simultaneous. Okay. Um, Sure. But they kind of go in a chronology, and it's almost like when they switch direct- directors for Harry Potter, and very clearly Hagrid's hat <laughs> is somewhere completely different on, you know, Hogwarts grounds. And yeah. <laughs> so you'd want that continuity um, of of setup and all the things. Yeah. So, uh, but that's one of my favorites that I think, I mean, you can totally see the her influence of, like I heard you say, uh, uh, Twelfth Night, like and being influenced yeah. by that, and you know, going undercover essentially, and um, but I think that medieval fantasy in general really came out of um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think until very recently, at least in you know, in Western literature, like that was most most fantasy was that. Mm-hmm. pseudo medieval mm-hmm. Europe you know mm-hmm. yeah might have been, been elves might have been dwarves sure yeah they yeah and you know there's there's they're starting to be a lot more like prominent fantasy that is not that kind of setting but that's still kind of I think what most people think of was like you know sword and sorcery fantasy like that's yeah. what you think of like yeah that Lord of the Rings yeah. 
setting. Okay, I just finished both tests. Oh, who's oh, again? Okay. <laughs> so my first one, I got Gladriel, which I nice. see. Oh, we're all Gladriel. <laughs> but the second one, I got Sam. Aww. Aww. Sam. Which is my favorite, so I'm totally Perfect. done with that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Sam would be a Hufflepuff if he... Yes! Yeah. Was... As would I. Which Yay. I'm a Hufflepuff, yes. Be so. helpful. <laughs> I got Galadriel as well the first time. But then I took... I don't know if I took the same one again or took a different one, and I was Boromir. Nice. So... Nice. Oh, it looks like you were Sam in the second... On the second oh, okay. quiz, like... Second quiz, okay. So, Rhonda, you and I are both Sam on the second one. And Erin, you were... I don't know, maybe you didn't take the second quiz. Oh, I think that one you said you were Legolas. I was, yeah. <laughs> oh! Is that the plan your ideal vacation and we'll tell you which Lord of the Rings character you are? Is that that no, one? No, that was the How Stuff Works one. Oh. And it was like 30 questions. It was, it was oh, pretty geez. intense. Yeah, it was long. I don't think I yeah. took that one. I took the BuzzFeed one. Uh, oh, okay. Where you plan your ideal vacation and they tell you who in Lord of the Rings you are. <laughs> so look into that, friends. That's, That's like plan your wedding and see which Avenger you'll marry or something. Oh, which <laughs> Avenger you'll marry. <laughs> I do all of those BuzzFeed quizzes instead of um, shopping endlessly on Target online on my phone. I do oh, all the seriously. ones that are like. Pick out your favorite outfit. outfit. <laughs> it's the same thing as shopping, except you don't receive you don't the items. You don't spend the money. That's the <laughs> so it's good. Yeah. It's I like, like retail it. therapy without hurting your budget. Precisely. <laughs> um, and then in our notes as well. Um, well, did we have any more? Did you have any more uh, fantasy books or series that you think? I mean, just all of them. Just most of them. <laughs> yeah. Just everything. Just yeah. You know, I think um, the only two that are co- the only things that are coming to mind are not fantasy books. I'm thinking about like in the first episode of New Girl to establish oh. Jess Day as a nerd. She talks about Golem. Middle Earth. <laughs> Can we go to Middle Earth when she's like super depressed? So. Like Schmidt is like, let's just take all the Lord of the Rings references and put them into a deep dark cave yeah. where no one can find them. And then Jess is like, except Smeagol, he except lives in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they establish her character is this, like, well-read, nerdy girl. Um, so I think that that says a lot about the influence as well, that we all look to Lord of the Rings as, like, if you've read this, you're a certain type of, like, yeah, you know a certain type of, of world. Yeah. 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 So we also lost audio at the end of our recording, if you hadn't already guessed. Um, At this point, our discussion was pretty much wrapping up, so you're not really missing too much. Um, You know, this episode was definitely a live and learn kind of situation for us, and you know, we've only gotten better since then. So if you are still listening at this point, (laughs) thank you for your patience. And um, I hope you'll stick around and give some of our other episodes a try as well. Um, Thanks for listening and have a great day. Bye.